Welcome to Glory Stories with Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn. Dr. Vaughn was one of the top eye surgeons in America and has traveled to many countries in the world preaching the Word of God. She also opened up an eye surgery center in Beijing, China, where she did free eye surgery on those in need. Dr. Vaughn will be sharing many of her personal experiences from God. In addition, you will hear of others that have known God in an intimate way and seen His miracle working power. As you hear about how God has worked in the lives of others, our hope is that you will be changed forever. Get ready for God to heal you, deliver you, and transform your life as you sit back and enjoy these glory stories. Welcome to Glory Stories. I'm going to talk with you today about adventures that I've had in Inner Mongolia. Uh, I doubt many of you have been to Inner Mongolia, but it's, it's a wonderful place with wonderful people. Of course, I went there to do surgery and to help the people. To, I, I wanted to help the surgeons to learn how to do better surgery. And I obviously wanted to help the people that were blind to see. So <clears throat> we drove in vehicles from Beijing, China to Inner Mongolia. And when we crossed the border into Inner Mongolia, they had a, uh, a man and a woman dressed in native costumes there. And they were singing and giving us gifts. And uh, I, I mean, it's the most fabulous welcoming committee that I've ever had any place I've been. Well, I've had some other good welcoming committees, but that was fabulous because they were all dressed in their native costume. And, and they were, you know, holding your hand and doing certain movements with you and really welcoming you the best that they knew how. So that was our introduction, our first introduction to Inner Mongolia. Then they took us to the hospital where I was going to be doing surgery. And they had a banner, a huge banner across the whole, the whole hospital. And uh, honestly, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it said something like famous American ophthalmologist, Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn. And it was across the whole, the whole front of the building. There were television crews there and media people there and uh, some of the dignitaries that were there. They gave speeches. Of course, I have no idea what they were saying because they were speaking in Mandarin. But uh, it, it, was a, it was a real big deal, I can tell you that. And lots of people were gathered all around. All of the nursing staff was out in front of the hospital under this banner in their nursing uniforms. And uh, then they wanted to give me a gift. And it was, it was a, a beautiful dress in their native costume. The only thing, it was about, it would fit someone that was about a foot taller than I was. So, you know, the, the shoulders on the dress were like about here on me, on, I mean, they were, in order for the, the floor length to be correct, you'd have to have the shoulders about here on me, which, you know, that didn't work at all. And then, if that, if that wasn't enough, they wanted me to put it on. Well, here I am outside. I had on like a, a jogging outfit that I'd, I'd been traveling in, and we just had come straight to the hospital. So I had on this jogging outfit, and they wanted me to put the dress on. So I put the dress on over the jogging outfit, and it had a hat that goes with it and all decorations and, you know, sparkly stuff. And, I mean, I was all, <laughs> I can't even imagine what I look like, but I'm sure it was unusual because the dress was just hanging off of me. But I did because they asked me to, and... And I was trying to be compliant with their desires and, and make them happy. And, and I still have the dress. It's a beautiful dress. I've never really worn it because it doesn't fit me. And it doesn't, you know, Americans don't wear those kind of clothes. But uh, I really, in my heart, I really appreciate having it. And I treasure it because they gave it to me out of love. And that means a lot to me. Well, then we were taken to the hotel. And uh, 
it was interesting. The hotel was interesting because as they took us to the rooms, and they were the best rooms that they had in the hotel, and we were we were grateful for that. Uh, and and they were they were nice rooms. Uh, they took us to the hotel, but there was there was this odor that was very strong odor, like if you were in a toilet, a latrine. That's the odor in those rooms. So you know you just. You just, that's okay, you just live with it, it's what you do. And so we, we were okay. And so one of the ladies, I had, there were four of us traveling together, and one of the ladies, you know, she would get up in the morning and she would take the washcloth and it was, it was always kind of damp, you know, kind of wet, but she thought, well, they probably just didn't have a good dryer, you know, they probably washed it in their dryer, it didn't work real well. And so uh, she was, she'd just wash her face with this washcloth and, and uh, in America, when you finish using something in a hotel, you know, you just throw it on the floor and they, they wash it and dry it and so forth. So she did that for two or three mornings and she always noticed that it was awful wet, but she just ignored that. And, and about the third or the fourth morning, she happened to be in the room when the maid came into the room to clean the room. And she happened to see that the maid picked up, I forgot to tell you something, at the at the edge of the bathroom door, they gave you little jelly shoes so you could take, you know, they're, they're like little slip-on sandal jelly shoes. So you could take off your shoes and put on the little jelly shoes and then walk into the bathroom because the, the, the floor of the bathroom was always kind of, actually it was wet. So anyway, when the maid came in, Jerry saw the maid pick up the washcloth she'd been washing her face with, wring out the extra water out of it and hang it back on the on the rack for her to use the next day. And that was like toilet water that was on the floor. So for those days, for three or four days, she'd been washing her face with toilet water every morning, which wasn't funny to her, but it was funny to the rest of us. So that, that was our, oh, I remember another funny thing that happened. The television set didn't work very well and they didn't have much programming, but they had, what was the name of that movie? Uh, Overboard. They had a movie with Goldie Hawn called Overboard, which is a comedy anyway. And on the screen, on the screen of the television, the, it, instead of the person standing straight, the, the picture would go like this. It was like they were a snake like this. And then when they'd turn a different direction, then they'd be going like this on the screen. So not only was it a comedy, it, it, the picture itself was hilarious just to watch these people standing next to each other and they're, they're going like a snake. Anyway, that's part of Inner Mongolia. Then my reason for being there was because I was going to do surgery, as I said, and teach the, the eye surgeons there about better techniques in surgery. I'm going to tell you about one case in particular. Because wherever I went, you know, they, the, the worst cases that you could ever imagine in the world were the cases that they brought in for me to do. People came from everywhere for me to do surgery on them, from the whole country. They would come just because it was a difficult case. The other doctors didn't know what to do, or the other doctors had tried to do something and it didn't work out right, and so they would send them because they knew that I was there. Okay, so on this one case, it was a, it was a young child, a young girl, and she had had some sort of traumatic injury to her eye. And uh, the inside of the eyeball has a lens that makes your eye focus. And if that lens gets cloudy, foggy, cloudy, you call it a cataract. And that's why people can't see. They're looking through a cloudy lens. Well, this child 
had had a penetrating injury into her eye, which had punctured the lens of her eye at some point, and so that lens of her eye was not plump and round like it's supposed to be. It was halfway uh, dissolved and halfway, it was turned into like scar tissue. I can't even describe it to you, but anyway, it, it, wa it wasn't a regular cataract, and you could not approach it in a regular cataract fashion because it was not amenable to that kind of surgery. So then, you know, I had to, I had to improvise. I had to think, how am I going to get this out of this child's eye and make her see again, put a lens implant in, the pla in its place, and, 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 and rehabilitate her eye? And uh, so I, I pondered that, and I thought, the only way I can really deal with this is a very old-fashioned technique that hadn't been done in years and years and years because the modern techniques wouldn't work on this particular kind of cataract. And it was, a, it was a technique that you use a freezing probe and you touch that freezing probe to the, to the, the lens of the eye, the cataract of the eye, and you, you gently, gently take that lens out. Because, the, you know, if you touch something frozen with something that's wet, it, they stick together. You know what I'm talking about. You, you, don't, you don't stick your tongue on a frozen flagpole or you'd be part of the flagpole for a while. So that's the concept of taking this out. You, you take a freezing probe, the lens, whatever's left of the lens is, is wet. You touch the freezing probe to that and you gently take it out of the eye. Well, it, it, there was a, an anesthesiologist that put this child to sleep. And so I had to ask them if they could come up with some special equipment that I could somehow make a freezing probe out of this to get this, this half dissolved cataract out of this child's eye. They came up with a big, a big container anyway that had that they could make a freezing probe with. It didn't work very well, and so they'd get a, a, a big wrench or a hammer or something that hit on the thing and, and make it work for a little bit and some of the time. And, and in order to use that, you have to open the eye a lot. You have to open the eye like halfway, 180 degrees, and, and to, to do that. So uh, I would be in the middle of trying to put that probe onto the cataract, and then the, the source of the freezing would, would not work. It'd stop. And then I had to stop and wait. Let they bang on that equipment again and try to get it to, to work again. Okay, now they said, now you can try it again. So I'd try it again. Well, and then finally, finally I, I, I was just about to get that done. And you wouldn't believe, but it took so much commotion to do all of that. I guess the anesthesiologist forgot what he was doing and the child sat up on the table, sat up in the middle of the table with her eye wide open. She sat up. She woke up. She sat up. But we were all shocked because here she is. She has drapes all over. You know how you do in surgery. You have sterile drapes, and, and the child sits up. Well, right away, the anesthesiologist gave her some more medicine, IV, and she laid back down. But I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what, are, what am I going to have to deal with now? You know, what's the eye going to look like when the eye is... 180 degrees open and the child sits up on the surgery table. So we got her to lay back down and got all sterile, you know, sterilized everything and, and got all, all going again. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And we resolved that issue. We're trying to suture the eye. And now the microscope, see all this is done. It's microsurgery under a microscope. Then the microscope light goes off. So now there's no light. You can't if you can't see, you can't do surgery. If you can't, 
through a microscope, if you have no light in the microscope, you can't see. So I have to just stop and wait, fold my hands and wait till they can do something to try to get the microscope to work again. And so they bring out, a, you know, another wrench or a hammer or something, and they're banging on the microscope. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we would never do this to our equipment in America. And you would never. <laughs> But anyway, they apparently were used to dealing with it, and so that's what they did, and eventually they got the light back on, and, you know, I could go on and, 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 and do some more surgery. So every time that they would have some failure in their equipment, I would just be sitting there. At one time, I was sitting there so long that I just, you know, I got off my stool I was sitting on, and I went over, and I, I mean, I, I just had to wait. So every case that we did was not only a complicated case, but it took a long time because of the equipment problems that we had to deal with. But it was, it was a challenge to me. It was interesting to me. And by the grace of God, I think we helped a lot of people that otherwise would have been blind and desperate all the rest of their lives. So I thank God for that. I really do. Then the night, the last night that we were there, they had a big banquet for us, which was the usual way that they did it in China. They did it in Inner Mongolia, too. And I learned about a little, a little thing that they do. It's called gombe, and they have little liquor glasses, and they fill with some sort of liquor. I don't, I don't know what kind it was. And, and they say gombe, and they just drink the whole glass of liquor all at the same time. Well, s several of us that, from, from my party, we, we, weren't, we don't really drink liquor. And so the good thing about it was that the liquor that they were serving was was just what it was just clear like water it looked just like water but it wasn't it was strong liquor but anyway so we would just fill our glass with water and then they say gombe and then you know you could chug a glass of water and that was just fine because you you want to you, you want to try to the best you can join in with what they like to do and what they think will honor you and what they think is a very special occasion and a special thing to do so they had a lot of glasses of gombe, and needless to say, they were very, very happy by the time that banquet ended. But it was, it was an interesting time, uh, and I went back more than once to Inner Mongolia. Uh, one time I went, we did 100 cataracts in two and a half days. So it, it, was, it was a real challenge, but I thank God for the experience, and I'm, I thank God that I was able to help some people there and help some doctors too. Well, I'm going to shift gears right now and talk to you about something totally different. I'm going to share with you something that the Lord taught me, which I think it will be helpful to you as well as it was to me. You, you may or may not be familiar with Ezekiel, the 47th chapter, that talks about the river of life that comes out from beneath the throne of God the Father in heaven, the river of life. And everything that that river touches has life in it. Uh, we commonly think of that river as the Holy Spirit because there's a scripture that says, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Thus he spake of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. So you commonly think of that river as the Holy Spirit. Then there's another scripture in, in Psalms 46 that says, There is a river, the streams whereof make glad. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. She shall not be moved. So from that scripture, then you can see, okay, the, this is the river of the Holy Spirit, and this is also God is in the midst of her. So, you know, God is in this river too. And so I had always known that and understood that. But one day the Lord spoke something to me that 
I, I don't know, I never thought of it before. Maybe you haven't thought of it before either like this. But Jesus said to me, he said, I am the river. Jesus said, I am the river. Well, I, I'll get to it in a minute, but that totally changed my thinking about a lot of things. You can, let's think about this river coming out from beneath the throne of God for a few minutes. There are people that are standing on the bank of the river. Remember, the river is God. The river is the Holy Spirit. The river is Jesus. The river is God. There are people that are standing on the bank that really aren't even in God. But there are people that have come out into the water. Ezekiel 47 says an angel brought him till the water was ankle deep. And then he took him farther into the water. The water was knee deep. And then he took him farther. He's taking Ezekiel, by the way. He's taking Ezekiel then farther into the river. And the river was waist deep. Okay, so these three people, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, these three people are in the water, some to more extent than other extent. In other words, they're into God because the river is God, right? So what do these three people all have in common? What do they have in common? Can you think of one thing that all three of them have in common? Well, I'll tell you what God showed me. All three of them have their feet on the ground. That's what they have in common. And if you have your feet on the ground, it means that you are in control. You can leave the river anytime you want to. Or you can go deeper if you want to. As long as your feet are on the ground, you are in control. But then, then the, the Bible in Ezekiel 47 says, then the, the waters got so deep that they were waters to swim in, to swim in. So some of them then will have gotten their feet off the ground and now they're swimming in the river, which is you know, more of God than they had when they were waiting in the river. But now what does, what does the swimmer have in common with the people waiting? There's still something in common. I give you a minute to think about it because maybe you can figure it out. The thing they have in common is the swimmer, can, if he can swim, it means he can also, he's in control of, of what happens. It means the swimmer can, if he wants to, swim to the bank and get out of the river. He's still in control if he's a swimmer. Then if you, once the Lord, he gave me this vision about the river. I'm not going to go into the vision right now, but, but he, he told me, he said, you know, I'd like for you to be more like a piece of wood that was thrown into the water, and that piece of wood would just be floating in the water. The, the wood would have no control anymore about where it's going. The river would be the one in control, which would be God would be the one in control. And the river could take it into a nice, uh, quiet ed eddy if it wanted to, or the river could take it into over the rapids if it wanted to, and the piece of wood would be banging all around, and, and, and some of us need to be banged around quite a bit to knock some flesh out of us, but at any rate, it would be the river that would be in control of that. So for many years, I thought of myself as floating in that river with the Lord in control of where I was going and, and, and what he wanted to do with me. And, and that, was, that was good. That was a good thing for me to think that way for a number of years. But recently, recently, he showed me there's still something in common between the waders, the swimmer, and the wood floating in the water. There's still some feature that's in common with all of those. Can you think of what that might be? 
Well, this is what he showed me. Whichever situation, uh, out of those situations, part of that person is in the water and part of that person is above the water. The water's God, the water's the Holy Ghost, the water's Jesus. So part of the body is, is in the water, but part of the body is still in the, in, in the world, in the flesh, and, and that there, there can be attachments to the things of the world and the things of the flesh, like cords, if you will, that are pulling them in an upward direction out of God. You know, the allure of the world tends to want to pull you up out of the things of God. It's kind of like a battle goes on. In fact, the Word of God says the, the flesh battles the spirit and the spirit battles the flesh, and there's a battle that's going on. So if you have these cords that are, that are pulling you up into the things of the flesh, the things of the world, then you can't get any deeper in God than you, you, you can't get immersed in God. You, you, you just can't. So when he showed me that, he showed me that I still had, I had, me personally, I had a, one cord that was still pulling me into the world, if you will. And um, this may not, you may not relate to this cord, but I know some of you will relate to it. Okay, there are sports teams all over the world and we all get so, not all of us, some of us get so involved with sports teams. I happen to come from a place called Dallas, Texas, and they have a football team named the Dallas Cowboys. Have you ever heard of the Dallas Cowboys? Anyway, I was very much into the Dallas Cowboys. You know, I would, I would want to watch every game I could watch, and if I couldn't watch the game, I would record it on my television at home. When I got home, I would want to watch the game on the recording, and if they won, if they played well, they made good touchdowns or something, I might want to watch it twice. And, and I, I would always love to, to hear uh, at television programs at night, the 10 o'clock news would come on, and there would be one segment that would talk about sports, and I'd always want to be sure that I listened to that little segment on sports so that I could hear what the commentators said about the Dallas Cowboys. If I was in surgery, between surgery cases, while the nurses were getting that room cleaned up and getting the next patient ready for me, I would have a few minutes break and I would go to the doctor's break room. There would be a newspaper and I would read all about the Dallas Cowboys, about the players, how many yards they ran, how many yards they passed the ball, what did they anticipate for next week's game. And in other words, I was really into the Dallas Cowboys. And the Lord showed me that that was a cord into the things of the world that was pulling, keeping me from being immersed in the water. Well, he didn't, he didn't like us to have cords on us. So when he showed me that, I said, oh, I'm glad you showed me, Lord. And I just, I just cut it off. I just cut it off. And so I didn't watch another game that was, as far as I was concerned, I was dead or the Cowboys were dead to me. I didn't watch another game. I didn't listen to another sports commentator. I didn't read the newspaper about them. I didn't have anything to do with them because that was, it was too much of an allure into the world in my life. And so I got rid of it because to me personally, you know, I want to be pleasing to God in every way. I want to do everything that he tells me to do. I want to be as pure and holy as I can be, as I know how to be. And, and so whatever he tells me to do, I just do it. I do it right away. So once the cords, that cord, once that cord was cut in my life, the next thing he showed me was I was being immersed in the river, immersed in the river. 
I got this the other day. Bought it at Walmart, so you know Walmart. When you're immersed in the river, I didn't have a little man to show you, so I'm showing you this. But if you, if you put this in the river, can you see that it's wide open? Can you see that it's wide open? Can you see that? It's wide open. It doesn't have any center in it. It's actually a cookie cutter, if you want to know what it is. I brought this as an example because, thank you, you can, uh, if this was immersed in the, in the river, where would the water be? If this was immersed in the river, where would the water be in relationship to this? Well, the water would be all around it, right? But the water would also be in it. The water would be through it, right? This is the way he wants us to be. Because remember, Jesus said to me, I am the river. I am the river. And the word of God talks about Christ in you is the hope of glory. But at the same time, it says, it talks about him, him being in you and you being in him. In him, we live and move and have our being. So if we're in him, if we're immersed in the, if we're immersed in the river, we are in the river, so we're in him. But at the same time, the river is in us and flowing through us. So we're in the river, the river's in us if we're immersed in the river. I hope you see that. That was the clearest example I've ever seen of those scriptures because I always had a hard time figuring out how can I be in him and him in me at the same time. And it seems like it should be one way or the other. But this way I saw it when I was immersed in the river, I saw that I could be, the river would be coming from the throne of God. It would be flowing into me, which means I was filled with the river. And it would be flowing out of me, which would be out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Thus he spake of the Holy Spirit. So God could be flowing into me, through me, and out of me. And the last thing that he showed me about it is that the, the only hindrance that he has is all of us have like a letter I inside of us, a big I. And that I is, is you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, you know, all kinds of thoughts. Am I, am I good enough? Am I, do, I, do I know enough? Can I speak well enough? Do I look well enough? Do I, all those things, all those things are talking about I. And those are hindrances to God for you to think about yourself. That's the problem Gertrude Tyser had. I've told you about her in one of the glory stories. Because she was arguing with God. She couldn't be used by God because she couldn't speak good English. She didn't know the Bible well. She was a woman. She made all these excuses that all had to do with the I, the me. And God wants us not to look at ourselves, but to look at him and erase this I and, be, and have no hindrances to him. He gave me the words erasing the I. So, you know, I've been busy getting the, the help of the Holy Ghost to erase the I. He told me to write down on a paper one time, it's not you, it's not you, it's not you. Okay, I get the picture. It's not me. The I needs to be erased. And we just need to look at Jesus because nothing is impossible with God, but all kinds of things are impossible with us. So we, if we look at ourselves, it's a hindrance to God. So you say, okay, I'm nothing, you're everything, and you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, 
and I'm going to be nothing that Christ can be all in my life. That's our goal. Set it as your goal. I ask you to do that today in the name of Jesus. Be in the river, immersed. We hope that you enjoyed these stories of the glory of God. We believe that each story we tell will help build your faith and help to bring a miracle into your life. For more information about this program and Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn, visit her website at godsinstrument.com, her YouTube channel at Glory Stories Now, or write her at Elizabeth Vaughn Ministries Incorporated, P.O. Box 454, Argyle, Texas, 76226, USA.